You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. We've made it to Friday, people. We're off and running this Friday, December 13th. It's Friday the 13th today. Ah, all right. Hey there. This is the Gordon Damer Show that you've stumbled into. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Lots on the plate today for this Friday edition. 60 minutes uh, to gorge ourselves on all of it. So let's get right into it. Of course, the number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. On Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Daily poll question is up for today. We went a little sideways today. Went a little different direction that we'll get into in the course of the show. And, you know, I've been thinking about the show. Right. So Wednesday, we always do headlines. And I think one of the focuses that we're going to have for the show, assuming we continue to do a show, right? Like I'm taking some shots today at some of the big powers that be here at the station. So who knows? There might not be a show Monday. There might not be a show tomorrow. Who knows? Uh, so you want to try to make each show a little bit different, right? So we have headlines definitely for Wednesdays, but I think in the 2020 year, we're going to try to come up with different segments that will run specific days. So I think what Friday is going to be is almost like an open line Friday, right? Like usually when we take calls, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776, usually the way I do it on my show is, you know, we only have 60 minutes. So topic, calls on that topic. Topic, calls on that topic. Kind of very segmented. I think what on Friday is we'll do is – If you have that sports question, right, like you and your friends debate all the time, it doesn't have to necessarily be something I'm talking about. I think that Fridays are going to be the day for that. So maybe we'll start that today. I'm not sure. We have a lot of stuff to do today, so maybe today is not the day. But 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. First off, before we get to anything, you're just waking up, you're just getting rolling on this Friday. First off, our best thoughts go out to uh, former NBA Commissioner David Stern and his family. In case you don't know, reports are he suffered a brain hemorrhage yesterday and needed emergency surgery. So obviously you don't need me to tell you the importance of David Stern to the uh, explosion of the NBA's popularity from where it was to where it went to under him. So hopefully uh, he is able to come through this. He is 77 years old, uh, became the NBA commissioner in 84, obviously. So uh, all the best to both David Stern for his speedy recovery and his family. So, all right, we got the Yankees making moves and the possibility of one yesterday. I woke up from my nap, and first thing I look at is Twitter, and I saw this possibility, and I thought to myself, apparently I am still dreaming. But no, I was not dreaming. It was It's something that's out there. So there's one move that they could make, but there's also a move that's been – that's out there for them to make, but it seems like they have no interest at all in making. And it really kind of makes the most sense. But uh, so we'll get into that and the one move that they made yesterday that I'm not really all that jazzed up about. I never got to the Astros update yesterday. I got done with the show, thought, oh, my, you know, the students of shows are like, man, did another amazing job, Damer. Wow. What an impress. And then, oh, yeah, the thing you mentioned at the beginning of the show, you never mentioned again during the show. So that was a bad job by me. You have Brody Van Wagnen's comments about the Mets rotation after the moves for uh, Michael Waka and uh, Rick Porcello. Is there another move in the offing here. It feels like there is. Also, it kind of feels a little bit like Brody Van Wagen is being held to a little bit of an unfair standard. So we'll tend uh, to get to that. There's a trend right now in the NFL that I think, I don't know if it's a trend. Hopefully it's not a trend because if it is, it's really, really stupid. So we'll get to that too. But let's start with the Jets. Jets went into Baltimore last night, face off against the Ravens, kicking off week 15. Jets were not expected to win. And if you went to bed early, 
They did not win. Uh, did not really come close. It was a more entertaining game, I think, in the first half than you thought you were going to get. And I would like to tell you that it was an entertaining game in the second half, but I got to be honest with you, I fell asleep. Uh, about I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to stay up and watch this whole thing because it's important for the show. And I made it through halftime. And then the kick, the second half, the second half kickoff happened, and I would I don't know when it happened, but it seemed like thirty seconds after it, I fell asleep. So um, I can't really tell you, but it was a it was a blowout. The Ravens did cover. Jets were not really expected to compete, and uh, they did not compete. So they played well at times in the first half, but it's really kind of a, it would be crazy for me to come on and say, well, how did the Jets not? The Ravens are one of the best teams in football, and clearly the Jets are. And I have to be honest with you, at this point of the season, week 15, with where the Jets are at and what they're facing the rest of the way, I really don't know what to say about the team anymore. It's pretty clear what the team's problems are. They're pretty well-defined. I think number one is, how can they get this offensive line fixed, and can they do that in a single off season? So the problems are pretty well-defined. What's not well-defined is how do they solve all of these problems? Do they have to take away some of the talent that they, some of the established talent that they already have on this roster, right? Like when they get into the offseason, is it possible that Livion Bell is not here? Even though you know he's a good player, he has not had a good season, had a good night last night. But is he somebody who's going to still be here, considering the uh, the issues that the coach had with the signing? And since then, uh, is um, Jamal Adams going to be here? So what they the problems of the Jets well defined. How do they solve all those problems? Not so much. And really, the big question I've kind of buried the lead here: Do they have the right guy in place to solve those problems in the coach? It, it starts and ends, at least last night for the quarterback, Sam Darnold, had what I would say was uh, a overall solid game. And I think this is becoming pretty typical for him. He will have throws that tempt you with the possibility of what could be. Overall good. That throw to Crowder on the touchdown pass before the half was ridiculous. How he got that, you had to watch that play a couple of times over because the defender is standing right there. And it's a tough throw to make in the corner there, uh, by the end, uh, by the end line. And he made it. So you see the potential. It's tempting. But then you see the interception before the half. I don't know if that's completely on him now. He threw the ball. So it's, uh, it's going to have to be on him. But did the, the receiver run the wrong route? Did the Ravens switch some, something up that he wasn't expecting? I don't know H- how much responsibility is on him. Uh, but I think to me, the takeaway I have is that. Last night was what is becoming a fairly common game for Darnold. And to me, to think anyone can tell you for sure what this guy is or will be still seems a bit premature. Are there tantalizing play? Absolutely. You see that from time to time. But there's also that one or two throws that you you think, well, what what happened there? Can't have those. Got to clean those up. So my takeaway is, is just last night is one of those examples. When you get into a lost season, which the Jets season is a lost season, you go up against a team like the Ravens, who might be the best team in football. It Last night is one of those games where you get to see just how far, how much work you really have to do. You are not one-off season away from where they are right now. And with Lamar Jackson playing the way Lamar Jackson has played this year, how he played last night, it really felt like the Ravens 
were just playing a different sport. It didn't feel – everyone in the NFL is kind of playing catch-up. And certainly last night the Jets were playing catch-up. And whether or not they have the ability to fix all the things that uh, they need to fix to get this pointed in the right direction, uh, that's going to be a huge question for the offseason. And certainly last night they did not answer it in a positive way. one eight hundred nine one nine espn one 3776 All right, so that's one topic that we get off the bat right off the, right off the uh, top of the show. The other – is the Yankees. They brought back uh, Brett Gardner yesterday. One year, $12.5 million. He has an option for 2021. If you've listened to the show for some time, you know that I am not all that jazzed about Brett Gardner. I'm not the biggest Brett Gardner fan of the world. I get it. Yankees are going to need somebody to play center field. There is a certain comfort level with the player that they've known for a very, very long time. He did have an excellent season last year, but I am not the biggest Brett Gardner fan. And I will grant you that as a fan, he has value for things that I can't see, right? Like he has leadership in the clubhouse uh, after a season where, you know, CC Sabathia is leaving. This is a guy who's been in that clubhouse, is a respected member of the team. So that's something that has value that I can't see. But as, but as, as someone who, of the things that I can see, this is what I know about Brett Gardner. He is primarily a player who excels in the first half, not in the second half. Now, that was not the case last year. Maybe that will be the case moving forward at his age. I don't think so. And it was last year was really the exception to the rule. He had a great year. But he is primarily a first-half player. And more importantly, he is perennially a terrible postseason player. Terrible. In 16 postseason series, I feel like I'm using that word a lot lately, terrible. And it's true, it is terrible. 196, his slash line is 196, 260, a slugging of 252. His OPS is 500. That is someone who does not deserve it bats in the postseason. That is terrible. And sitting through him in the postseason is like sitting through the Irishman. But unfortunately, at least I've seen the Irishman now. I don't have to go back to it. You would have to expect the Yankees are going to the postseason again. And if it turns out that they're going to be giving, you know, we talk about what was the issue this year, what has been the issue in the past, finding ways to convert offense in the postseason, right? You have opportunities, but in those moments, he's one of the reasons why. He's one of the reasons why. So I get it. It was expected. It seems like everybody after the season, he had, oh, what an amazing job bringing back Brett Gardner. Uh, I got to be honest, I don't love every single move that the Yankees make, and this is one that I am not crazy about. Now, there was the possibility, there's this rumor out there. I saw Ken Rosenthal talking about it, some other people talking about it. Josh Hader of the Brewers, their super reliever, their uber reliever, apparently is on the block. Not that he's necessarily going to get traded, but it seems like the Brewers are at least willing to listen to offers. And Josh Hader, oh my goodness, you want to talk about falling in love with the numbers. How could you not fall in love with the numbers? Josh Hader's numbers are off the charts since he's kind of broken into the scene. And there was some talk uh, earlier in the offseason that maybe Josh Hader would be a target for the Mets. And whether or not the Mets would be willing to uh, pay the price, which you'd have to assume is going... Now, nobody's really floated out what it would actually cost to get Josh Hader. But when you take a look at the numbers, even this past year, which was not as good as the two previous years, 
He still had a whip, walks and hits to innings pitched, of well under one. It was .8. That is elite. His ERA plus was 170. 100, if it's at 100 level, that's about league average. Anything above 100 is above average. And and 170 is, is as good just about as you can get. He had 138 strikeouts in 75 innings. He's 25 years old. And one of the caveats that some people had when it came to the Mets is with as volatile as relievers are, that's one risk that maybe the Mets, I, I know Joel Sherman brought this point up, that's one risk that the Mets really can't make for a guy whose numbers were a tad down as the RA last year was 3.10 as opposed to 2.23 the year before. That's a, a risk that the Mets cannot make. Well, that is a risk that the Yankees can make in that the Yankees, it seems like, I'm sure that there has to be an example here somewhere of them getting it wrong on a reliever. This would not, if the Yankees are giving their seal of approval to go out and get Josh Hader, then I have very high level of confidence Josh Hader is going to be amazing. So it would be great if the Yankees could go get this guy. I don't know what it's going to cost them. It seems like the Brewers would only be willing to make a move if it was they were getting blown out of the water. But the one move that's out there, and it doesn't seem like the Yankees have any interest in making it at all. And look, I would love to be able to um, would love to be able to get um, Josh Hader. But you could simply just re-sign Dellen Batances. Now I don't know that Dellen Batances is healthy. Or that he will be healthy by the start of the season or even, you know, well into the season after the injuries that he had last year. Maybe the Yankees know more about it than other teams. We always talk about self-scouting, knowing your own team better than everybody else. But for a guy who would just simply cost you money and it seems like is willing to take a one-year deal, it almost feels like people are kind of sleeping on the importance of Dellen Batances. If you line up all the Yankee relievers and include Dellen Batances in that group, which he has been in the past, in terms of swing and miss stuff, he probably has the best stuff of them all. There were times when Dellen Batances is on, and I get it, you didn't get to see him last year. But if you've seen him in the past, there's times when he's on and you say to yourself, how does anybody hit him? So I don't understand, and look, I I will grant you, especially when it comes to bullpens, I trust Brian Cashman more on than, than other people. And when it comes to bullpens, even more so. Maybe that's their best area of expertise, being able to identify and pay for guys. But I don't understand, as great as Josh Hader would be, to me the, the simple move would be just bring back the Batances and take this, this, this super weapon that you have in your bullpen. Now with the addition of Garrett Cole slotting everybody in to the right spots and be able to add – Another elite arm in Dellen Batances. It just seems to make all the sense in the world, but it seems like from all the people you listen to, all the insiders, Rosenthal and Passan and, and uh, Kirkjian, it doesn't seem like the Yankees are all that interested in bringing Dellen Batances back. And to me, that one does not make a whole lot of sense. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. All right, so I said today was a little bit different. Today's poll question is up. It's on Twitter. It's at Gordon Damer. It's not sports-related. Today we went a little bit off. I could have asked you about Brody Van Wagenen's comments about uh, the Mets' uh, rotation. Do you really care? I could have come up with something about the Jets and the Ravens. Do you really care? I could have come up with something about the Knicks. Do you really care? The Knicks are actually living in the perfect scenario right now. 
They're off in the West Coast. I don't even see them. They're out of my. They're out of sight, out of mind. It's, it's been fantastic. If we can just figure out some way to shoot them to the moon, and then we'll all be saved. There's been a lot of talk on my show, on other shows, premier shows on the station, the premier show in all of New York sports, the Michael K Show. I got brought up on the Michael K Show yesterday about my review of the Irishman. So I decided today. I know it's going to probably hurt the poll numbers, and I know I am almost certainly going to lose because of the popularity of the case show. But the poll question is, the movie The Irishman is out. Chances are you've seen it or you will see it. You're in the process of watching it now because it's so long you can't watch it in just one day. It's been viewed by 26 million people since its release. If you had to pick one review, you're not thumbs up, not thumbs down. Not a detailed review of the movie, which I have given you already. Not all, not everybody who's reviewed it on the station has done that. I have. I've, I've pointed out specific things. If you had to pick one review, which would it be? Would it be that you would describe it as a masterpiece? And by masterpiece, you'd have to say it is Martin Scorsese's best film. That's what masterpiece means, right? Or would you describe it as terrible? If those were the only two options you had, not it was good, not I like this part, I like that part, eh, first half was a little slow, picked up in the other end. If you had to pick one review, either masterpiece or terrible, which would it be? You can vote on the poll question. It's up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, coming up. I'm very late. But coming up, I'll kind of recap the K-Show's uh, mention of me yesterday and why they're 100% wrong and don't have one single leg to stand on. And it makes literally no sense. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. All right, so uh, the poll question, which is up for today, it's on Twitter, and uh, it's at Gordon Damer. And it is about the movie The Irishman. We did, we went non-sports today and certainly want to hear from you. If you've seen the movie, as I said, 26 million people have watched it. And the debate that has gone back and forth, I think, that, uh, it, again, I want to make clear, when I originally brought up this point, I was not referring to Don's point, but he made the same point as someone else. I have still not been able to decipher who it was that made this point, but that The Irishman is a masterpiece. And to me, the movie was terrible. And, and how I judge that, how do you judge what a terrible movie is? Well, when the movie gets to its conclusion, did it have an impact? with you? Did it impact you in some way? And I have to be honest, the only feeling that I had when the movie was over was relief that the movie was over. It felt like a very long slog through a story that I guess picked up in the final hour. But overall, I would never watch that movie again. So, I, look, the points that I've made before, I'm not going to play you the entire clip of the of the K show. I'm sure maybe you could find it on their podcast. I don't know if it made their podcast or not. I don't know if their podcast is their entire show or not. But it's like a five minute long clip, which is like 50 percent of my show. <laughs> so I can't I can't in good conscience play all of what they said. But you know the points that I've made before still stand. And the first one, when you first start watching the movie that that, that hurt, I think the movie was that De Niro is so old that your suspension of disbelief is completely shattered. And I did make one misstatement yesterday. It was that I kept saying that De Niro was 75. He's not 75. He's 76. So I was, I was, I'll, I'll grant you that I was wrong there. And I don't see how anyone can watch that and not have their suspension of disbelief shattered. 
And one of their points, and I'll refute this, well, you just wanted to hate the movie going in. Well, I would just simply say, then why would I watch the whole thing? Why would I sit through the whole – if I went into it saying, you know what, what I'm going to do on the show, and I'll tell you right now, there's nothing that I do on the show that's not real. I'm a fan of radio, and I know all great radio shows, you have to be real. If you're not real, people are, are going to see it, especially here in New York. It, it's not going to work. Phony personas on the air don't work. They don't resonate. So there's nothing on the show where I'm going to say, you know, this is I'm going to do a bit on the show about this and have this. That's not the way my opinion works. So I would simply say if I went into it hating it and wanting to hate it, right? Why would I sit through three and a half hours? It doesn't make any sense. And I would simply turn it around on them. I think the more true statement was that you had it in your mind that it was brilliant even before you watched it. And it's not just the fight scene that I brought up. Don said, well, you know, in The Godfather, the sunny scene, right, the, the sunny scene is uh, ridiculous. I don't think anybody noticed that, though, the first few times that they saw it. Uh, I know I didn't. And I've watched The Godfather probably 300 times at least. You do notice it eventually. But the problem is, is that it's not just the fight scene. It's that De Niro's appearance is so weird and so off-putting and it, 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 your, your suspension of disbelief doesn't work. That that's just another – that's another – like when you get to that point, you're like, oh, my God, this is really bad. And I will say this as well. The ch- if you're going to have a, a, a swinging, scoping story of this like 50-year span – when you have somebody who looks old in the beginning and you're going to be changing time periods, at least at the beginning, I kind of found it hard to, to decipher what time period they were in based on De Niro's appearance. I didn't think it changed all that much. Now, obviously, the, the, uh, the, uh, I don't know if it's a funeral home or where, that part where he's in. I don't want to give too much away, but that's that place where he's in, uh, living near the uh, end of the story where he's telling it and going back. Uh, that obviously his appearance is different, but the other parts, like when he's driving the truck, and then when he's actually – it didn't really seem like his appearance changed all that much. And look, I would rebut specifically what Don's points of why the movie was so great, but I've not heard him make any specific point. He just said that he loved it and it was a masterpiece and it's uh, Scorsese's best movie ever, better than Goodfellas, better than Raging Bull. But he has not given me any reasons why. I- I'm trying to give you specific – without spoiling it, give you specific reasons why. Much like, and one of the things that they had yesterday, that uh, Peter made it out like he was on my side. I'm, I'm, look, I expect them all to kind of stick together. So whenever Michael sees it, I'm sure he's probably going to, you know, they're a team. They're, 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 they got each other's backs. I understand that. Pacino was terrible. You could take clips of Al Pacino acting, and I would love to. If we had a staff like the K Show, you know, they got to cast a thousand. It's just me and Brian here. It's hard in, in, to get ready for the show with all the other stuff and, and compile clips. If you took clips of Al Pacino's other works of the last, say, 10 years, and you played them alongside, everything is the same. His acting is exactly the same no matter what the character is. At this point, look, Al Pacino is a movie star. He's a person that gets a movie sold. You put Al Pacino's name on something – People are going to watch. People watch this. But at this, that's also true of Kevin Costner. Nobody is thinking that Kevin Costner is an amazing actor. He's a movie star. 
And I would say about Al Pacino's acting, I did not feel like I was watching Jimmy Hoffa. I felt like I was watching Al Pacino in a wig. The other point that they made, I think Peter brought this up initially, was, well, you just expected a different move. You were expecting Goodfellas. No, I did not. Absolutely not true. I can tell you with 100% certainty, I was very excited to see the movie, but I actually stayed away from any previews, any articles, any. I like to, what do I always say? I like to go in fresh. I don't want to know anything about it. I want it to speak to me on its own. So I went in fresh. So I did not have any expectations of what it was. I did have expectations, though, as I do of every movie. Memorable characters. Impactful scenes. I would simply say, everybody's talking about this movie. Is there a scene that anybody is talking about? My God, that scene, boy, when they had that, it really, either in a funny way or an emotional way or a sad or a tragic way, what would that scene be? The only scene that I've ever really seen is De Niro and uh, Ray Romano going back and forth. And I thought Ray Romano was very – Ray Romano is actually a pretty good actor. You would not think – when you watch Everybody Loves Raymond, you didn't think – you thought he was a stand-up doing a uh, show. But he's actually turned into a very good actor. But the main point is, like any movie, the movie has to make an impact when it ends. When you watch any movie, when you get to the climax, it should impact you in some way. And this didn't impact me at all. I don't know what the – I know what the feeling was supposed to be. I guess you're supposed to feel some connection to this Frank Sheeran character for his life and the mistakes that he's made. And there was not some emotional gut punch. It wasn't there. Now, was the last hour better? Yes. Were there performances that I thought were good? Pesci. That's a perfect example. Joe Pesci, over his last you know few – he hasn't done anything recently uh, that I've seen anyway – but his performances are usually very frenetic, very high energy. But this was a different character. So he acted in a different way. He was very reserved. And I thought it played the character great. I thought he was great. And I would simply say, this would be, I guess, my final point. And this is the final point I'll make. And we'll get some calls in. one 800 espn If this was so amazing, and the poll question, is it a masterpiece or is it terrible? If it's a masterpiece... I would simply ask you, have you watched it again? Have you gone back and watched it again? I mean, it's right there. It's on Netflix. It's this amazing. I know for myself, and I actually think that what we should do is we should run a contest in maybe in 2020. Most rewatchable movies, and we'll do poll questions on what is really the most rewatchable movie. Now, there are some movies, I will grant you, Raging Bull is not a, it's a great movie. It is a masterpiece. I would not watch that again because the subject material is a little, it's a little difficult to take. There's some movies like that. Saving Private Ryan, great movie. Not generally one you're going to sit down on the couch and say, hey, let's rewatch this war movie. So I would simply say, if, if, if the Irishman is this amazing, it's this masterpiece, have you gone back and watched it again? I'm guessing you probably haven't. 26 million people watched it the first time. At least when they, the, the initial numbers came out. I'm guessing there weren't that many people going back and watching it again. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. All right. And look, I think there is a deeper conversation to have maybe about the day and age that we live in, the, the, the way that we consume entertainment now, and whether or not a three-and-a-half-hour movie is even possible anymore. But I know... 
that in the past there have been movies that I said, you know what, Shawshank is a perfect example. Now, that's a few years ago now. But I remember Shawshank, we got it from uh, Blockbuster, right? I came home late night, one night, Saturday night, and my mother said, hey, you know, we have this movie, this Shawshank thing that people are talking about. If you want to watch it, I say, you know, I'll, I'll pop in the tape. I'll watch it for an hour. Of course, you pop it in. You watch it for an hour. You watch the whole thing. You don't, you don't cut it off because it's amazing. That is a masterpiece. So I, I don't know what else to tell you. They, they were, I, I was absolutely able to cut off the Irishman. And if it were a masterpiece, I, I don't think that that would be the case, even at three and a half hours. All right, let's squeeze. Uh, can we squeeze calls in here? All right, let's squeeze in a couple. one 919 espn one 3776 So the poll question is up. I, I will say this again. Fully expect to lose the poll question today. I understand that's going to happen, but let's see what ends up happening. Here's George in Deer Park. George, what's going on, my man? How you doing? Good morning. What's up? It was it was terrible. Thank it you, was, George. Thank I, you. I've never look. I understand I, this is not going to be probably the popular opinion. The critics love it. People love it. But no, I mean, I don't see how anybody could have sat through that movie and said, "Oh my no. God, that was amazing." No. No, it was horrible. The scene where De Niro pulls the guy out of the grocery store oh, and I mean, beats him up on the curb. Yeah, no. I'm I, waiting for him to sit there and go, time out, I need my oxygen right. tank. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I thought he was going to break his hip. Yeah. Well, I mean, the scene I brought up later in the movie when he's, like, throwing away the gun and he's, like, at the river and he's, like, standing on the rocks. He's, like, jumping for – I was worried he was going to break his hip right then and there. and That was going to be the movie. <laughs> I thought it was horrible. Pacino, no, I was just like, this is not – they just took every old – Mafia. Absolutely. A lot of fan service. Absolutely. George, 100% right. Yep. That's what sold the movie. Yep. It's bad. No, look, I mean, and look, you have to do that to sell the movie, right? To get the movie made, you have to have a certain star level, and they certainly had it with this. And I will say this sometimes being critical of things that you love is hard. There is nothing in terms of. entertainment that i love probably more than breaking bad breaking bad to me if you put everything up and you gave me one choice i would love to be able to go and zap out my memory so that i could experience breaking bad all over again for the first time and talk about something that you consumed furiously think about a lot of people had this experience they they discovered it on netflix right you'll be watching it late one night and you get to the end of the episode and the episode is so the previous episode is so good that it's like one o'clock in the morning. You got to get up at seven o'clock. But you say, you know what? There's no commercials. I could squeeze in another one. You would you would force yourself to stay up even later than you wanted to because it was so good. That was not the case here. That was absolutely not the case here. So there's nothing that I love more than Breaking Bad. And I get it. When uh, El Camino came out, I was very excited for that. And you have to be honest. If you're a huge Breaking Bad fan, it was okay. It wasn't. T- I didn't sit through it and go, "Oh my God, this is awful." It was. It was kind of true to the series, but it was mostly fan service of, "Hey, this character's back. Hey, that character's back." I don't want to give too much away in case people haven't seen. It. Oh, well, you should, probably should have seen it by now. So it's hard to criticize things you love. And Martin Scorsese, who doesn't love Martin Scorsese movies? But to think that this is his best one, I, I could give you ten. That I would, I would rather, you know what's one that never gets any credit? The Aviator. Howard, you, the scenes between DiCaprio and uh, Alan Alda. Oh my God, those are amazing. That's not this, man. And if it is, what's the scene? What's the scene everybody's taught? There is none. 
There is none. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, oh. way back left field. You gotta be kidding me. My home run. Well, how he keeps I swear to the Lord, you gotta put four fingers up yeah. when Torres comes to the plate. Because when he comes around third, it's too late. Get out of here. Get out of here. Paul O'Neill's giving me a hard time. Go back to your own booth. All right, so there's Gary uh, Thorne on Masson. Glaber Torres. Remember all the the, the times that Glaber would do something great last year, and everybody's point would be, he's 22 years old. He's 22 years old. Well, that's no longer true. Happy birthday to Glaber Torres. He's now 23 years old. He's 23 years old. Oh, my goodness. It is the Gordon Damer Show, your moment of inspiration for this uh, Friday morning. A lot of conversation today. Not really about the Jets. Not really about the Mets. Not really about the – got to get to that Astros point. Brian, do not let this show end without me getting to that Astros point. But uh, a lot of talk today about uh, the Irishman. The K show yesterday, playing my comments, a little back and forth between myself and Don. And they're going to be right around the corner for me today. They got their big Christmas party at Buffalo Wild Wings. People have suggested that I go there. I don't know if that's ne- – I wasn't invited there. I don't know if that's necessarily the best idea, crashing the – the, the big show in New York sports talk. Uh, I don't know if that's the best career move for me. Just showing up and, ex- hey, I'm here, guys. Yeah, I don't know if that's a, a good call for me. Uh, but the movie The Irishman, obviously, we've been going back and forth here the last uh, couple of days. The poll question today is focused on that. I'm sorry. I can't make the Jets compelling at this point. I can't make the Knicks compelling. I'm not interested all that much in some aspects, but not overall. So today, even though I know I'm going to lose the poll question, even though I know the poll numbers are probably going to be down, we simply asked you, if you had to, if you've seen the movie and you had to give it one review, not thumbs up, not thumbs down, not scale of one to ten, if you had to either describe it as your name is going to be on the movie poster. Do you want your name associated with Masterpiece or would you review it as terrible? I've said terrible. Don said uh, Masterpiece. Don has a lot more fans than I do. I'm the, just a little guy here at 5 o'clock in the morning for an hour. And uh, so I'm sure that I will lose the poll question, but we decided to go with that today. And you want to have your take. So 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Let's run through these calls because we've gotten uh, people fired up. Let's go to Sal in Aberdeen. Sal, what's going on, my man? Hey, I think you should go to that uh, ESPN thing where Don is, drag him out, and kick the crap out of him. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. Pie. I'm a little younger than Don. I'm not that much younger than Don. And Don has rage. Don has some – I have some rage, but Don has a lot of rage. Yeah, I think he has idiot strength sometimes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you said that, not me. Don't, don't um, get me fired, yeah, Sal. I, I anticipated – I waited for it to come on Netflix – and I like you, I didn't look at any reviews or anything. I took it for what it was worth. And to me, the movie was, eh. You know, there was there was nothing really, really to it. My wife was, sat down with me. She got into the first hour and 15 minutes and said, I'm leaving. I said, no, I said, I'm going to stick this out. The CGI was horrible. Terrible. They looked like rubber, you know. He looked like right. Robot De Niro. He didn't even look yeah. like Robert De Niro. He looked like a robot. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... The acting, Pacino, and is is to the point that, like you said, everything he does is like over One the top. Note. Absolutely. And uh, Pesci was good. Pesci was excellent. And you know what? He can't do those scenes, De Niro anymore. He's not. You know, right. Raging Bull was excellent. 
was like one of the best movies ever. Just what he did to his body. To Absolutely. No, look, nobody, nobody's denying that Robert De Niro is an excellent actor, but even there's things that he can't do, and he can't make himself seem believable at 35 years old. Right. These guys should be doing roles that are 60 and older. Right. And they should, they should, if they, look, I, I get me, look, Martin Scorsese knows a lot more about movies than I do, so I, I'm sure that he was not, uh, he, he didn't want to, he didn't think it was important. But if you had just that movie and you had had an actor portraying the young version uh, of Frank Sheeran, I think that that probably would have helped. Now, again, I don't know that it necessarily would have impacted the end of the movie where you're supposed to feel something. And maybe I'll be honest with you. If you break up a movie into days like I did, it's three and a half hours. I don't have three and a half hours. Even with a one hour show, I don't have three and a half hours to sit and watch a movie. That probably does impact your sense at the end of the movie if you break it up as opposed if you watch it in one setting. But again, if it was that great, I think I probably would have stuck it out no matter what I would have done to see how this compelling, engrossing story played out. It was not compelling. It was not engrossing. And I had no problem switching it off because uh, I watched it another day. Maybe that is speaking to the times and the fact that it's on Netflix, but I think it also speaks to the movie. Here's Stephen Cedar Grove. Steve, man. Good morning. How are you? I'm Merry Christmas to you and the crew. Thanks, man. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Listen, it's obvious that Pacino did not have to... Oh, Steve's uh, breaking up. Hoffa. Hello. Yeah, Steve, go. Say, try again. It's obvious that Pacino did not have access to the same taste of Hoffa that Nicholson had because he plays a completely different character. Right. He just does he, he does he does Al Pacino. And when that movie ended, I could not wait for it to end. It was good. Yeah. My wife even said to me, How did he go from being a truck driver to this assassin in like three minutes? It was a great point. Yeah. I don't understand the whole story. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, look, there's a lot of issues that I have with the movie. Um, I, I wanted it to be everything that you expected. Right. When you hear this movie's coming out and it's going to be on Netflix. Now, it's also available in theaters. I can't imagine anybody going to the theater and making their way through this. It is a slog. And there are movies that it's, t- you know, there's tough material. Uh, as I said, Raging Bull is one. Uh, Saving Private Rhyme. Those are engrossing pictures that maybe you're not going to go back and rewatch, but the first time you see them, they make an impact. I, I don't know what the impact was. Am I supposed to feel sympathy for him because he's kind of he, he? There, there are there are no heroes in the mob life, and he realizes that later, and it's impacted his relationship with his daughter, who won't talk to him and doesn't talk to him throughout the movie. I don't know. I, I didn't. It, it didn't impact me that way. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on ninety eight point seven ESPN. The Astros' point is this: the uh, art, the uh, Athletic had an article uh, a couple of days ago. It might have been by Rosenthal. I'm not sure, but their point was they talked to one source who said that this is Rob Manfred's Judge Landis moment, meaning that this is a monumental thing that he has to get right. It seems like as this investigation's gone along, it's kind of faded from the headlines. And that makes you worry that whatever the punishment is going to be, which has to be very strict, would be a little bit more lenient. Maybe the fact that there are people within baseball who are looking to Rob Manfred to really bring the hammer, maybe that means that the Astros will actually get hammered here. The one trend also in the NFL that I brought up in the open that I think is stupid, why do we care where players are going to play next year? 
I get it. If your team's out, you're the Jets, you're the Giants, you're the Dolphins. Okay, you're already looking towards the draft. You're looking towards next year. Why do I care where the hell Tom Brady's going to play next year? How about we get through the? I'm kind of interested in this year. Let's see how this year turns out. And then, you know, when he decides next year, the Patriots, all right, that'll be a big story then. I don't need it now. And I certainly don't need it with Odell Beckham Jr. Who the hell cares where Odell Beckham Jr. is going to play next year? Stupid. Let's get some calls in. 1-800-919-ESPN. Mike, quickly, my man. Hey, good morning, brother. How are you? I'm good. Quick. Hey, the review of the Irishman, it was terrible to their legacy. Um, I think we have to accept the days that the Raging Bull and Deer Hunter are over. De Niro needs to accept that. I feel like he's become a character of himself. And I just want to say happy holidays to you guys. You guys put on a great show, and I think you definitely need more than an hour, man. All right, Mike. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, all right. That's going to do it. The show's already over. I, I, can't, I, I can't get everything in that we want again, and I apologize. But hit me up on Twitter. Um, uh, I'll be available there. Obviously, the poll question is up for today. Somebody brought up that I should have, in, in the review of The Irishman, should have given a, a slightly t- entertaining option. Well, no, you have to make it a hard choice. And if you're saying it's slightly entertaining, well, then you're definitely not saying that it's a masterpiece. So then the only available option is, it was terrible. We'll be back with more Terrible Radio tomorrow. 7 a.m. This is The Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.